Chapter 1. Pondering When he had guided his plow halfway down the furrow, a burrowinged fly alighted just above Joe Tower's right ear. He felt it crawling, its presence irritating through the sweat that beaded his forehead and dampened his temples, and he knew that he should swat it away. When it was ready to do so, the fly would bite him, and burrowinged flies drew blood when they bit. He did not raise his hand, because once again the devils, which at sporadic intervals tormented him, were having a field day. The fly was a counter-irritant. He wanted it to bite. It was a time to be hurt, because after the fly bit him, there would be that much more satisfaction in smashing it. At the same time he kept a wary eye on the mules. Though he was sometimes confused by the facts and affairs of his personal world, at the moment he had no doubt whatever about one thing. He hated all mules in general, and these two in particular. They were big, sleek, roan brutes, with an air of innocence that was somehow imparted by their wagging ears and doleful expressions, but was entirely belied by the devil in their eyes. Twice, within the past fifteen minutes, they had balked, stepped over their traces, snarled their harnesses, and kicked at him when he sought to untangle them. He had escaped injury because he knew mules. All his life he had handled animals, and most of the time he knew what they were going to do before they did it. He felt the fly crawling around and gloated silently as he awaited its bite. He mustn't harm the mules because a man simply never hurt his animals, but he could swat the fly and, so doing, He could relieve all his pent-up anger at the mules, and, this afternoon, at the world in general. Not for a second did he take his eyes from the mules, and they seemed to know that he was watching them. Muscles rippled beneath taut hides as they strained into their collars and pulled, as though they had never had any thought except getting the plowing done. Joe Tower's already tense nerves began to scream. The fly didn't bite and the mules didn't balk, and unless something happened very soon, he felt that he would be reduced to babbling idiocy. Nothing happened, except that the already hot sun seemed to become a little hotter on his sweat-drenched shirt and his perspiring head and arms. But he had been scorched by so much sun, and had sweated so many gallons, that he never thought about it any more. Sun and sweat were a part of things, like snow and ice, Nobody escaped them, and nobody could do anything about them, and Joe wasn't sure that anyone should want to. If the sun didn't shine, the crops wouldn't grow. If the sun did shine, and there was no snow to melt and fill subterranean reservoirs, the crops wouldn't grow anyhow. This basic reasoning should be obvious to anyone at all. The rich brown earth turned cleanly as the plow wounded it, and the scorching sun burned a healing scab over the wound. Keeping intent eyes on both mules and waiting for the fly to bite, Joe was not one man, but two. One of them felt a soul-filling peace. It was good to plow and to have the nostril-filling scent of the newly turned earth, for these things were symbolic. The earth was a vast treasure-house, but the treasure was not yielded freely. It was only for the strong, for him who could sweat and strain and guide a plow. Such a person was blessed beyond any others. 
but the other man, who walked with Joe, was angry and resentful. He did not doubt his own strength, for he could plough as long a furrow as was necessary. He did dislike the forces, the petty forces that had nothing at all to do with ploughing, which kept him from doing it. Joe's lean, six-foot body adjusted itself perfectly to the rhythm of the plough. Harry's sun-browned arms gripped the handles with exactly the right pressure, and there was something almost lyrically smooth in the way he could, without using his hands at all, control the reins that were looped over the small of his back. Gray-streaked hair that needed cutting, and black beard shadowed a face that might have been thirty years old or fifty, and was thirty-four. To himself and his work he gave little conscious thought. He had ploughed so many furrows that ploughing came almost as naturally as breathing, and he had long since ceased even to think about his own physical proportions.